Today, we hear Jesus' exchange with Pontius Pilate about kingdoms and kings. We hear Daniel's prophecy of the Son of Man descending on the clouds. And Jesus will define himself through the words of Revelation to us as he expresses his eternal divine nature. The combined picture of these readings allows us to, first of all, see the big picture of reality. You and I can place our experiences right now into that picture. The goal is to ratchet down the fear and provide us with the great gift of the hopeful expectation in God. God has told us a few things about the last days. We have a reasonable expectation, just as the employee who awaits the paycheck has a reasonable expectation. John points us to many reasons for the Christian to have this expectation today. Welcome to the Sandhills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. I'm Pastor John Edding. The title of this sermon on Christ the King Sunday is, I Expect. This is a sermon on Revelation 1, 4b to verse 8. Thanks be to God. Let's get to the sermon. Well, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you again to have that uh, text from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4b through 8 handy. And we'll be going through that in just a moment. Just as an introduction, let me say this. God has told us a few things about the last days. We have a reasonable expectation. Just as an employee who waits the paycheck has a reasonable expectation. The word hope, you know, so I haven't, I didn't use the word hope, and that's because the word hope has kind of changed throughout uh, history. For many people, hope is, is a sort of a wish or a desire. Um, but something which they do not expect to see. Now, this is different from hope in the biblical sense, because hope in the biblical sense is, is a reasonable expectation. It, it comes from something you are confident in. And John gives us many reasons for hopeful expectations. John starts out his letter like many pastors start out their sermons. And so I'm simply going to read his words and work straight into the sermon at this point. So let me reread what you just heard earlier. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is a statement of who Jesus is. It's almost a doxology of sorts, uh, or a resume. 
I want to deal with each of these sentences and these ideas in turn as we answer this question. May we expect good things from Jesus Christ? So this is how John starts out. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Well, the first thing that John says is that he speaks gracious and peaceful words on behalf of the eternal one who was and is and will ever be. This is a language of, of the Old Testament prophets and others who used to describe Yahweh, that is the Lord, who the, the Lord, the same Lord who parted the sea, the same Lord who raised up the judges and the kings who sent the prophets and so on. John wants no mistake here. This is from that God. So yes, you can expect good things from the Lord of time and life. Next line. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now the seven spirits will show up later in the book. Uh, they are the seven angels who guard the seven churches, or perhaps they are the seven pastors of the seven churches. In any event, they are part of this greeting as well. And then verse 5, that first clause, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So this greeting is also from Jesus Christ himself. And this is where the resume part of the reading starts. He is the faithful witness. Witness to what? Well, I thought that we were witnesses for him. And I thought he was the judge. Uh, I thought he was the defense attorney who would get us off. Now, now he's the witness too? So what role in this courtroom does he not occupy? This witnessing role of Jesus was quite important for John's original audience who were persecuted. These were persecuted people that John was writing to. Now, the witnessing role of Jesus is important. First of all, Jesus bears witness in his body to the fact that he has also paid humanity's price. As such, he is a witness to us of the love which God has for us. He still bears the marks of the crucifixion on his hands and his side and his feet. Secondly, Jesus bears witness to his Father. So he speaks eloquently of our place in the kingdom where, when he sits at God's right hand. Because he has taken on flesh, he really can sit. Then third, this is perhaps the larger witness role or more immediately important role that Jesus has played as a witness. He was a witness to the atrocities that were being visited upon John's audience. They were being persecuted. And John reminds them that Jesus is watching and he sees whatever is happening, whatever happens to them. One of the great temptations of persecution is that the devil, who means the accuser, wants us to believe that God has forgotten about us. Jesus is watching though. He is a witness who will one day bear testimony against them. So yes, you may expect good things from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. And then this next clause, 
the firstborn of the dead. Now, that's a title. And that title really says a lot. To, to be the first implies that there is what? A second and a third and so on. Right? Jesus' re- resurrection, his resurrection is not a singular event, but it is an event that has broken death's bonds. It's released the cords that have that bind us all, that would bind us all. He is the firstborn, but not the lastborn of all the dead. For the persecuted Christians to whom John wrote, this would be important. Remember that their family, some of their family members and their friends have died for their faith in Jesus. So Jesus is the answer to that problem. Now, we often place great emphasis on Good Friday, the day that Jesus died on the cross, his crucifixion. And it is, a worthy of, it is worthy of everything that we say about it. But the early Christians, they made a much larger deal about the resurrection of Christ and the promise of their own resurrection. Jesus' death is necessary, but instrumental to the real goal, and that is the resurrection of the dead. Sometimes I think that we have isolated so, so uh, ourselves from the reality of death that it has become kind of you know, distant to us. And that's, that's a bit understandable. Until it, it is not distant, <laughs> that is. And, and when that day comes, then we, I find that there many are unprepared, wholly unprepared for it because they've kept death at a distance. For so long, they do not have then the tools to deal with death with their, when their own death draws near and fills their horizon. So the emphasis on the firstborn of the dead, the resurrection, is so important. So yes, you may expect good things from Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. Then the next one, next clause, ruler, the ruler of kings on the earth. Now, this is really critical for John to assert. At the time that he wrote, who was the king? It was the Roman emperor who was horribly persecuting the Christians. And also, John was writing to those seven churches in modern-day Turkey, which is also called or known as Asia Minor. And there were, the Roman emperor had governors, and, and the governor of Asia Minor, in particular, This governor was afraid of the growing Christian movement. So what did he try to do? He tried to contain it. He tried to stamp it out. And here comes another temptation of the devil in times of persecution. It's to suggest this. To suggest, and it's a lie, to suggest that God is not in control. Perhaps he is good. But he's not strong, not strong to save his people. There are other forces which are out of his control, like the emperor who is persecuting us. But John asserts that Jesus rules over all the kings of the earth. That's why this phrase or this clause is so important. This means he will have to find other ways to explain this, John does, and he does. The suffering is part of Jesus' plan. It's part of his kingdom. This is normal. Look at how Jesus suffered. God saved the world through suffering. But this does not mean that Jesus is not ruling. He is. And so, yes, you and I can expect good things from 
the ruler of kings on the earth. And this is why it fits so well with our theme for today, which is Christ the King Sunday. And then this next little sentence is small, but it packs a lot. To him who loves us. So enough of the resume part. Now he's talking about our relationship to this Jesus. First John simply asserts that he loves us. For persecuted people, this is hard to see. For people in a shrinking church body, for Christians in a nation which has not seen an increase in its Christian population in decades, it also might be hard to see sometimes. I think the problem is is that often we want to locate the love of God in our success. The success that we define for our institutions and structures. So one measure of success might be, well, how many people showed up on, you know, at church? And, and if it seems small to us, then that might discourage us. Well, but God's love, and it might be an expression of God's love, but God's love is not expressed that way, at least not at all the time. It will also be a love expressed in and through suffering. So yes, you may expect good things from the one who loves us. And then the next clause, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. Well, he has freed us from our sins by his blood. The the love of Jesus, what we just talked about, involved the suffering of the crucifixion. So for the persecuted Christian to see that Jesus also died a persecuted death could immediately connect them to him. But the emphasis on blood may have had another purpose. Jesus' love is real, and it's tangible. It dripped red on Calvary's hill. He has set us free from a much larger enemy than the Roman emperor, uh, his soldiers, and governors. He has freed us from death. He has freed us from sin. And these other things are actually small in comparison to that evil. And they can only... You know, the Roman emperor, the, uh, the governors, the, they can only kill us once, but sin and death ensnare us for an eternity. So yes, you and I may expect good things from the one who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And then verse 6 is just really amazing. And he made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, John is saying right here in verse 6, he's, he's not, Jesus has not simply saved us and then moved on to his next superhero adventure. Um, and by the way, there, there have been a lot of superhero movies, haven't there? I mean, we're going on year, what, 20 so we're kind of used to the superhero kind of idea, and they just come swoop in, and they, they get the bad guy, and then they, they're off to their next adventure, right? But Jesus doesn't act that way. He, he is not just this superhero who goes on to his next adventure. He, his redeemed creation is doubly precious to him, and we are now his priests. That's what it says he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Um, so we have his ear. He listens to us. We are his nation. He rules us as our king. This is a current reality. 
And even though we may not look like it, we are priests of God. He, in other words, he speaks and he acts through us. What are priests? But intermediaries. They're go-betweens between God and other people, right? And so this is simply what we are enabled to do. We, are, we serve as a priestly kingdom, intermediaries between God and this broken world. We are priests then who pray for the world and bring the message of God's grace to this broken world. We radiate God's love. We, we take those harvest food boxes and we deliver them. We help our neighbor. We love our neighbor. And the time is short. And as a former LCMS president said, Gerald Kieschnick, he used to say, time is short and hell is hot. <laughs> so the consequences are huge. And the joy of seeing someone believe and then made into a fellow Christian and a fellow priest of God, of, of Christ, is beautiful and good. And we are his holy people. And to take the burden off us, we don't have our responsibilities not to as, as priests, as whole, God's holy people, is not to make people believe. Only God can do that. He's the one who's responsible for someone, causing someone to believe. But we can radiate his love. We can and serve others uh, with our good works. We are his holy people. So yes, you may expect good things from the one who speaks and acts through us. And then verse 7 Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He is coming, as Daniel saw, in the clouds, and as Zechariah saw, the ones who pierced him shall see him and wail. I mean, that's really, that's crying out, loud crying out. And surely those who wail and weep are the very Roman soldiers who stood guard over his crucifixion, but all the Romans who pursue and persecute Jesus' people. And then remember the story when Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, was confronted on that road to Damascus. Jesus did not ask why he was persecuting his people. He asked, why are you persecuting me? The persecutors, the bad guys of your life, will get their just deserts. It comes, because he comes. And then, so yes, you may expect good things from the Lord because he is coming with the clouds. And then verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John wraps up that with a statement, wraps up with a statement from God himself. The beginning and the end. That's what Alpha and Omega means. And the one who was, is, and will be, ever be the Almighty, that God. This is a return to that, to the sort of language which started this whole little passage. A connection to the God of the Old Testament witness. Let me tell a little brief story of how I think um, that might drive home this idea of about time and people making time for us. So I um, heard these words from a very busy man, and I was grateful. He said to me, I will make some time for you. And I knew how much he had on his plate. He was really busy. But re I really needed to talk to him about a few things. 
And this meant, meant that he pushed some things out of the way for me. Adjusted his schedule for me. We had the conversation and he helped me. So did you notice how this little reading from John, Revelation, begins and ends with an emphasis on time? John says that he brings grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. In the last verse, he records the very words in the mouth of God. He is both the beginning and the end, the source and the destination. For God, time is not this ever-rolling stream that Isaac Watts speaks of in his famous hymn. He encompasses all time. He made it all. He is in every moment simultaneously. All moments are now for God. If God ever says to you, let me make some time for you, he's not adjusting his calendar. Nor is he speaking metaphorically. He makes time for you. Think about that. Think about that when you have some quote-unquote trivial thing uh, to pray about. Many of my prayers, I fear, are about very small things, things which would, should be beneath God. But John also asserts for us that God loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. That means he is not beneath listening to my silly prayers. He will make time for that. If every Christian alive today, about, what, estimated 2 billion people, if every Christian alive today just happened to speak a prayer in this moment, then God would make 2 billion moments just to hear those prayers. Each one of them, he can do that. He is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. So yes, you may, you and I may expect good things from the Alpha, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. And yes, we may expect good things from him. And even though there are many things that would tell us to doubt, we should not. For Jesus has looked into our eyes in our baptism and promised us eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.